0: Hype Beast Radio. I'm Jeff Staple, and this is The Business of Hype, a show about creative entrepreneurs, brand builders, innovators, and the realities behind the dreams they've built. Take a look at any red carpet today, and you'll probably see his design work. Award shows, his design work. Galas, yep. Concerts and performances, check and check. His work has graced many stages as of late. And no, this isn't a storied French fashion house. This isn't a fine Italian leather goods brand. And this isn't a mysterious Japanese craftsman. This, my friends, is 100% Brooklyn, New York. We're talking about a quote unquote hot new brand that has now just been in the game for over 15 years. A brand that has been able to establish their own voice and their own ways of doing things. This isn't anti-fashion or simply screw the rules. This is bigger. This is doing fashion in a way because you can do it this way and because it should be done this way. This is writing a new path for the future of fashion using apparel design to raise questions about what's important in society today, politics, race, family, relationships, people, and so much more. This week on the business of hype, I am honored to bring you the one and only Kirby Jean Raymond of the legendary brand, Pierre Moss.
1: I'm Kirby Jean Raymond. Um, I am the creative director and founder of Pierre Moss. Uh, and uh, I like to describe myself as an artist. Welcome. I'm happy to be here, man. I'm happy we've, to finally connect with you, bro.
0: Yeah, we've been trying to connect for a while, and you've just been having a... How, how should we call the last quarter, the last quarter of this year for you? What would you describe it if you had to describe your last three, four months? I'd, I'd call it on track.
1: Word? Yeah, I call it on track. That's dope. Yeah, man. This is this is a product of manifestation for real. I think everything that's that's happening in my life right now is um, uh you know, I like to describe it as a, a boot camp. You know, I think everybody has to go through their individual boot camps and mm-hmm. um the shit that you went through in your life mm-hmm. and the shit that I went through in my life is 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 deliberate, the universe put us in those places so that we can get to where we are and look back at those things that we had to go through. And we look back and we're like, oh, damn, that was hard. Why well, I need to go through this? And then one day you're in your office and you're dealing with some shit and you're like, ah, oh, that's why. That's why. Training camp. Yeah, yeah, it's a training camp. Like, So so I, I believe that uh, where I'm at right now, what's happening in my life right now uh, is with deliberate intent of the universe. And I believe it is a product of manifestation from, from myself as well.
0: From, from an outsider's point of view, mm-hmm. right, and for those who haven't known you since day one, right. you might look like, wow, this guy, overnight success, he just came out of nowhere, right? right, And like, just when did you start this? Like, it just must have started recently and like now <laughs> it's blown up. But yeah. you were just telling me this is like since at least 01 that right. you've gotten... This has been like a professional decision for you, right? This is this this is this is this was all deliberate, you know. Um, at
1: thirteen years old, I went into the high school of fashion industries. I had deliberate intent of being uh, a, a, a footwear designer, a mm-hmm. sneaker designer. And um, when I got into my school, you know, I, did you go to school, high school in, in New York? Jersey. You went to high school in yeah. Jersey. All right. So in New York, we had these uh, directory books. So like the directory books that come around, like look like the yellow pages. Mm-hmm. And then you would pick which high school you go to. You get to read the stats, what programs they have or whatever. So I landed on the High School of Fashion Industries, and they had this jewelry, accessory, shoe design program. We took the test. You had to do like a, a portfolio. Mm-hmm. So I you know, went to like the church program, the art, church art program. I had them help me with the the portfolio. My um, my father's friend, Kenny Altidor, helped me. With um, still life and all mm-hmm. that shit, we created like this this fire portfolio, yeah, and um, got into the school, did what I had to do, did everything right, got into the school, um, and then uh, Giuliani cuts the program. Oh, shit, like was, I can't say you know what. Let's blame Giuliani. Fuck him. Like Giuliani <laughs> Giuliani's administration cut like a lot of public school funding, uh-huh. and uh, that was one of the programs to go. So they so they Put me into a pattern making and fashion design class. So I'm a 13 year old boy uh-huh. uh, sewing little baby rompers when I really wanted to be a sneaker designer because I always wanted to be Tinker. I was like my shit, right? I was like, yeah. I, was like I need. I want to be just like Tinker. I have read something about Tinker uh-huh. before. Before knowing about Tinker, I thought that shit was a. Uh, I thought that was a machine job.
0: Right. I was like, you know, not an artisan job. Yeah. Right. I agree. I, I'm with I, you. I, I didn't know how yeah.
1: sneakers were made. I thought Michael Jordan. <laughs> I thought Michael Jordan called the man up. <laughs> Said, so look, man, I want the toe box like this. I want this like this. Make it in black and red, uh, and send them my way and ship them out to the world. Yeah, I, I had no idea that it was like you know that the the processes that went into uh, shoe design. Um, and honestly, I didn't know until recently because I, I didn't unfortunately wasn't able to have be be part of that program. So I got into, so I, so I, so they so they put me into fashion design and pattern making. Mm-hmm. I have all intentions of transferring. Mm-hmm to automotive high school. I was like, I'm just going to do my other passion, which is cars. OK. And uh, I knew I was transferring. I was like, I was so I was like, by 10th grade, I'm out of here. Fuck these kids. I can't stand this. Mm-hmm. I was like, this is trash. Uh, and I was like really disruptive in school. And I got uh, kicked out of a class one time for, for throwing something at somebody. And um, they sent me down to the principal's office. I got, I got like the whole spiel about getting the in-house suspension then shit really clicked with with me then because my father, if I came home, like, yeah, I got suspended from school, one of two things would have happened. I would have been dangling out the window or I would have been on the way to JFK to go to Haiti and, like, that would have been it. You know, Haitian (laughs) parents love to threaten you with Haiti. Like, I'm going to send you to Haiti forever. Like, (laughs) that (laughs) shit... That shit was real, man, so, you know, that w- that wasn't a joke because I had two cousins that were shipped off at that mm-hmm. point, and I was like, oh, I'm next. <laughs> exiled. <laughs> I was like, I'm not going to get exiled from Brooklyn. This is wild. So I I ended up, um, you know, going back up, apologizing to the teacher. Uh, the dean gave me a second chance, uh-huh. and the teacher was like, you know, I just don't feel like you're challenged. And she was like, what's going on? I was like, well, I wanted to design shoes. And she was like, well, you you know, you're actually really good at this. Fashion, your fashion uh, teachers are saying that like, you're really good at this. You know, I had, like, this teacher named Miss Singleton who was, like, mean to every, every, everybody, God rest her soul. She was amazing. She was, you know, she was really nice to me, though. She, she figured me out really fast. She knew that I wasn't challenged, and she, you know, would brave to the other teachers. Like, I have this really special kid. Yeah. And then uh, Miss Z offered me the internship at K Younger with her friend Linda Virtue. Okay, oh, Younger. Okay, Younger. Yeah, wow. that was my first joint. It was like a legend, like a fashion legend. Yeah, man, I just had dinner with her like a week ago. She's she's, she's my people, man. But you know, I had, I got the internship there uh, at fourteen, and then a few weeks into our internship, they asked me to come in on the weekend. They were like, "You want to make some money?" I was like, "Cool." Come in on the weekend, fix these, you know, organize these file cabinets, organize these patterns. Um, so I'm just there for the money. I was just like, "Whatever." I will get twelve dollars an hour. Mm-hmm. Um, I had another. Cause I had another job. I was working at Ragamuffin in, in Flatbush, but they don't mm-hmm. open on on Fridays and Saturdays because they was Hasidic Jewish. Oh. So I had. So I wanted to make money on Friday nights and Saturdays, So I was like, All right, I'm gonna take this shit. I go in and Kay, that was my first time meeting Kay. So she was there on the weekend, and um, we ended up talking, and and she was just so intrigued by like by me and like and and what I knew from working at Ragamuffin, and and we were talking about these parallel universes essentially. She was talking about the fashion industry that she knew and I yeah. was talking about the fashion industry that I knew. She was telling me about names like Pamela Dennis and Nicole Miller and mm-hmm. and and you know, telling me what her goals with, with K Younger were. And I was in in simultaneously I'm over here telling her about uh Averex and, and Pele Pele and, and 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 uh and what brands what Italian brands was hitting for us in, in, in the in and in where I was coming from. So she, we were talking about like Moschino and iceberg and right and, and shit like that. And you know she was just amazed by it, and she was like at the end of that conversation, she left, came back. I re- I remember this shit so vividly. She, like I remember she left, came back, left, came back, and she looked at me like she wanted to say something, and she was like uh, ultimately she was like you know I want you to be my apprentice. How old were you? Fourteen. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but I was the thing is like I wasn't it, I was there was no intention of me being a fashion designer. I was it was just something that I just happened to be yeah. good at. I was good at drawing, like because I was working with you know, I was working with the other the girls, like Sophia and Kylie and, and, and the girls that were up there. Um, you know, they would give me stuff to draw and, you know, give me things to to do, whatever. And I was just, I, I would kill it. Because it was just, because, like, in comparison to my work at Ragamuffin, where I was making $5.15 an hour, um, I had a 15-minute lunch break, had uh, working in the stock room, had uh, Israeli dudes just screaming at me all day, in comparison, going to Kayunga was like a va- was like a yeah. vacation. Right. So it was like oh, and yeah. paid better. <laughs> yeah, and I was like oh, you, like I just want me to I just want me to make draw this. I was uh-huh. like shit. Even if I didn't know how to draw, I would have figured it out because it was just that much easier. And and like twelve dollars an hour, honestly, was how more than my parents were making. Really? Yeah, my mom and and my dad combined. My mom was alive. My mom passed when I was seven. But like my mom and my dad combined were making nine hundred dollars a month.
0: Have you ever heard of the butterfly effect? If not, you should definitely look it up. Now, in a nutshell, it states that one small decision that you make can and will result in massive changes later on in life, whether we know it during that time or not. And that's the key here, because 99.999% of the time, you don't know where your actions will actually lead to. That goes for the positive and the negative. Kirby is completely right everything we do that leads up to the it moment is basically training camp to get you there. You might have noticed with a lot of the guests on my past shows and really anyone that works in the creative field, the ones who seem like they popped up out of nowhere, it actually probably took 15 plus years of at best being ignored or at worst failing miserably. What you see as someone's premiere collection or debut project is actually a product of many, many sleepless nights and countless detours and extreme low points. In other words, learning. That's the training camp we're talking about here. And Kirby isn't surprised or taken back by the meteoric rise of his past year. He simply sees it as being on track. And I love that. Athletes, often practice the same type of visualization. They picture themselves in that big game, making the big play. They picture the exact step, the exact positioning of the foot. Now you might ask, how could they visualize every possible scenario that could come at them? Well, if you put in the proverbial 10,000 hours, you'll experience a good amount of them. And those moments that catch most other people on their heels, they become expected for you because it's not a question of what will happen. It's just a matter of when it will happen.
1: My mother worked three jobs. So she's a beautician. She was a home health aide. So she went to like the old people's homes and like she would go like pick an ave and she like that and go to the old people's homes and like, you know, clean up and, you know, take care of them, whatever. And then she worked at, uh, she worked at the beauty salon and then she was a seamstress. So she had those three jobs. And she, you know, um, she just hustled. And, mm-hmm. you know, my, my mom didn't speak English. She, she she just hustled. She just did what she needed to do. My father, he came here. He started driving taxi under my, one of my uncle's medallions. Okay. My uncle had a medallion. And, you know, he drove one of his cars uh, for him for a minute. Um, he won one of these little, like, illegal lottos. You know, mm-hmm. like the they call it ballet, You know, I, I think American people call it like running numbers. or some Yeah, shit. running numbers. Yeah, yeah. yeah, one of them joints. Like the, the the joints he played at the bodega, he won one of them joints for like, like $1,500. And he took the $1,500 and went to um, uh, uh, TCI, Technical Career Institute, signed mm-hmm. up so that he could become a technician. Wow. And his job for my whole life was uh, fixing uh, TVs, radios, mm-hmm shit like that but it was a lot of you know it wasn't it was really slow money so he would do things on the side he would you know put like he would install the stereo systems for all the dudes in the neighborhood and shit like that so mostly a yeah, drug dealers and whoever had the money to install yeah. benzy boxes and shit uh-huh. like that and they and they and they whips the benzy box the pull out yeah, stereo yeah. man so that was that was my dad he did it for the whole East flappers for a minute and uh he did he did the benzy boxes he he did like the dish network like, the cards. The D scrambler things, the, like, yeah, where you could yeah. steal cable. <laughs> exactly, he did, the. He, he did, he sold the cable boxes, he sold the, um, the, the Dish Network, the uh-huh. direct T V joints, he had, like, a little radio station called Roger Soleil that he worked with, so he used to put the, the, uh, the joint, like, the, the transistor in the, in the radio so that you could pick up the Haitian radio stations, and, like, and, and, and honestly, my hustle can really comes from my past, because, like, he was doing so much, and the way he would stack money was just very, very like inspirational to me. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, so I, I started working at ten. I was first just sweeping up the sweeping up the um, the the barbershop, so I could get free haircuts. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, then we went. Me and my father went to like this expo in Long Island, and I had one of the first CDRWs. In my whole neighborhood nobody had like a cdrw nobody uh-huh. even had a computer so like i was really into computers early on uh-huh. i had like the first webcam which was like the little stick yeah yeah <laughs> you know and uh, i had the the cdrw and i was making compilation uh, cds for people and i would go sell them at the barbershop so uh-huh. i was like 11 years old that's what i was doing like it was like you tell me what songs you want i write it down oh I, my God. I write it down that's so dope. and then i go make you a, a mixtape cd i used to get in a lot of trouble because a lot of times it just wouldn't burn you know um, what I mean? So like you saw somebody some see come back and you're like, like I didn't mean to. <laughs> it was this fucked up CDRW that we got from the, from, from, uh, the expo.
0: <laughs> yeah, it was shit like that, man. That's crazy. Did they see something in you that they were like, something different about Kirby? Who? Who did? Your, your parents. Did they, your dad especially. Did he... I still don't think my father sees
1: anything <laughs> special in me. Like... <laughs> My father's still waiting for me to go back to law school. You know what I mean? Like my he father, thinks you are
0: playing around right now. Yeah, like,
1: like what are you doing? Like what are you doing with home. yourself? Yeah, like like, <laughs> like what are you doing with yourself? Like well, I thought you were going to be a doctor. Like it's it's those kind of it's those kinds of conversations. I don't. You know, the thing is, my father's never been in my office. Why? It's kind of by design, to be honest with you. Um, one like we like again, my, our our relationship is in a constant state of repair. Mm-hmm. Um, I had like you know my, we had we had our difficult times, especially because. Uh, after post my mom dying uh I had a stepmother in the picture for a minute for about 10 years and she really wasn't good to me she was like really verbally and emotionally abusive mm-hmm. and um and I think you know my dark sense of humor and a lot of like my guards I'm learning now were put up back then and like they mm-hmm. they almost like impossible to take down you know but because of because of those those times you know I I put up a shield around my dad because I felt like he wasn't you know, protective of me, you yeah. know, in, in, in those spaces. And, and, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty, And like, we all, we all know now as adults that there's no manual to raising kids. And mm-hmm. like, I don't, I don't hold any, uh, grudges towards them, but I, I there's still an animosity there that's, that's still being, um, fixed and, worked and, and repaired, uh, but we're not close. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Like I, I, I envy those people who like are able to like call their parents every day and like, you know, Hey mom. Yeah, I got a new tattoo. Like, no, it's not that kind of, it's a very,
0: it's very, uh, general soldier. Right. Um, I, I'm on the same relationship with my dad. Yeah. I'm happy that we're at the pl- place where I call cordial. Yeah. Like we can talk about the weather and mm-hmm. traffic like that, but that's about yeah. as deep as it gets.
1: Yeah, me and my father's me and my father's um, conversation is extend to like real estate, cars, but it's very <laughs> shallow. Yeah, like, I you know. Because I mean? cars was like how we, ca- I got into cars because I was like I, I noticed early on at like five, six years old. I was like, he's putting these car radios in. And if I expressed interest in that, in that realm that he was in, he, his face would light up. Right. So I, so I, so I learned everything there was to know about cars yeah. back then. I could, you know, I was five, six years old and I'd be like sitting on the balcony in my grandmother's house and be like, 87 Maxima, this is that, bop <laughs> bah, ba ba ba." ba, ba. Yep. And I was just like naming cars and that she used to impress the hell out of him. So I, right. you know, it, it, that was
0: like the trigger to like start a yeah, conversation. But I also
1: just love good industrial design too. Mm-hmm. You know, over time it, it became a thing that was just for me. But the the initial interest and the initial like um, peaked interest began because of because of you know wanting
0: to have some sort of deeper connection with him. I wanted to ask you. You mentioned Tinker Hatfield earlier yeah. as like an early inspiration. Mm-hmm. Where did that come from? Where I mean, like, Dude, were you no, were you a sneakerhead?
1: I mean, I'm I'm still a sneakerhead. You know what I mean? It's just it's tough now. Like I be collecting sneakers in private because like, you know my my contracts dictate <laughs> <laughs> that I cannot wear other people's shit, but mm-hmm. Um, you know, but it, but also in my contract I have it so that I could wear like Jerry shit. I could wear like I could wear my I could wear my people shit, so I could wear like Jerry's shit, I wear Virgil shit. Um if 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 any of my friends do a collab, it's kinda in my contract. It's uh-huh. like whatever, you know, you know they're my friend, you know I gotta support, you know right. how I am with people. Um the I was I was a huge sneakerhead uh in the sense that like I knew what they were, mm-hmm. I knew who what everything was was coming out, but I was at the time when I discovered Tinker, I would, you know, I didn't have like bread for kicks. I would, I would just want them. I, yeah. I remember the first pair of kicks I bought in my, my own money was, um, you know, the jewel uptowns. Yeah. With the baby, With the smaller it, swoosh. It, yeah. yeah. The black, the black ones with the Carolina blue swoosh. They said NYC on the joint. Uh-huh. So like that, I remember those, but then I would keep sneakers for a year and I would uh-huh. just have to keep cleaning them. You know what I'm saying? Cause I didn't yeah. have like bread to like, just, just keep copping new shit like that. But I, I didn't recognize that, the homies that got sneakers, you know, constantly rotated sneakers out, had mm-hmm. the new cars, whatever. Those were fly guys, and I wanted to be like them. So, yeah. you know, I wanted to, so, so that that was the interest. It was like, damn, if I could be the one to create those shoes, then I'm gonna be the person that they talking about. But I, I discovered Tinker because um, I'm an only shy biologically, but my uh, my stepmother had a, a son, and mm-hmm. then my my dad took in someone, and the and the kid he took in, my brother, mm-hmm. uh, Clifton, he handed me something, like a book. It was like a source magazine or some shit like that. And then they had Tinker's name. So then I went to like a K-hole, went to the library on Caton and Flatbush to go research and got got on the internet, you know, research, mm. found out who he was. It was not a lot of articles back then. No. It was probably like one or two articles yeah. about him. And it was all like pertaining to like, this was the guy who saved Michael Jordan Huh. You know, whatever, like for as much as they were talking about, it was like conspiracy theory. <laughs> and I was like, I want to be that guy. So yeah. that was that was the initial spark of interest. And it's funny now because like, I, you know, Tinker sent me like she was just not out. Wow. Yeah. Signed them. mind boggling. It's, like, it? yeah, it's crazy, bro.
0: Um, where'd you go to school? Like
1: college? Where'd you study? Where'd you go? So, So fashion industries yep. high school is connected to FIT. So, okay. Uh, during my last year, because I finished all my courses early, I did something called Tech Prep. Mm-hmm. They don't have it no more, but it was like you take college courses while you're still in high school because mm-hmm. I was too young to graduate. Right. Um, uh, and then, you know, you could opt to stay in FIT mm-hmm. or, you know, apply for other colleges and not apply for other colleges because I was like I was just too redundant. I didn't want to learn fashion anymore than yeah. I had already done. Uh-huh. I wanted some other shit, so I went to Hofstra University. I got a full scholarship there through um, a program called NOAA. Um, which was like the most radical shit ever, because um, it was like new opportunities at Hofstra. But the dean there like really made it her business to like re-educate all the minorities about their heritage, and that really like sparked the interest in politics mm. and all the stuff that I that I that I do now. Um, what did you major in at Hofstra? Entrepreneurship, and business law was my okay. double, was my double major, but it was a free education, so I did two majors and a minor. Uh-huh. So I did uh, entrepreneurship, business law, and then um, Africana studies as my minor. Wow, yeah. that definitely
0: laid the foundation for where Where you were going to go, right? Training
1: camp, man. I told you. you But did
0: you sort of divorce yourself from design and and fashion at that point? For sure. Hofstra's not exactly the most fashion forward. Hell no, bro.
1: It was was crazy. It was like, I didn't divorce myself from fashion completely. Here's here's what I did. I did work, like, I was doing freelance, um, and I was still interning some places, so... Mm -hmm. By that time I already had like three jobs in fashion. So like I had worked at Khunger, mm-hmm. we had helped start I had helped start Marquesa. And then uh I was working for a company called Victoria Keene. Mm-hmm. And then during college, I was freelancing Kenneth Cole, Theory, mm-hmm. Mark Jacobs, Mishka, uh format, which was not um Nigel and Chicha store uh in Queens, and they had like a they had like a brand that was associated with that shit. Mm-hmm. Um, I did some, like, freelance stuff with Supreme at the time. Oh, wow. Um, I did, uh, I had my own brands. I had uh, Mary's Jungle, Montague's Fury, so I was selling them online and shit like that. Your own, like, t-shirt my, brands? My own t-shirt brands, yeah. And then, um, and then I was starting this brand called Yellow Banana with Eric Rothfeld, who was, like, the owner of New York and Company, Jones New York, and all that shit. He was like... He, Wild, 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 rich dude who was like <laughs> super nice to me and like really, really took well to me because I Kay Younger introduced me to okay. him when I was young. Kay was like against me going to college. Yeah, she was like you're wasting yep. your time. She was like she was like you're so much further ahead than than all these people, and you uh-huh. have connections to start a business. What are you doing? And I was like my dad. I just like I, you know yeah. even though that compl- that situation was complicated, I knew that like the chances of me being never spoken to again, mm-hmm. was going to be high if I didn't go to college. Right. Just because, like, how much they sacrificed, how much, like... Exactly. My mom and my dad sacrificed for us yeah. to be here. I for mean, me being America.
0: the... They, they're born in Haiti, right? Yeah, my father was born in Miyaguan um, mm-hmm. and my mom was born in Conayif. Uh, yeah. And, be, I mean, the, if you don't have immigrant parents, it's hard to understand the weight and the yeah. responsibility that you... A lot in common, so I'm also an only child of immigrant parents, and the the idea of not going to school was like... What are you, like, you might as well just go to jail then. Exactly. People right? Are, yeah, you, you're, you're, <laughs> like, I came here, motherfucker, yeah, for you. For you. <laughs> no one else. Yeah. Just you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, before I went to Parsons, I went to NYU just to, like, legitimize mm-hmm. a quasi-career to my parents. Like, oh, I'm taking journalism at NYU. They're like, okay, I heard of Connie Chung. All mm-hmm. right, cool. <laughs> They're like, all right, that's a legitimate job. <laughs> um, okay, so you graduated Hofstra?
1: Yes, sir. Okay.
0: Yes, sir. I got a, I got a dual BBA. So out of all these internships, did it land any full-time job out of college? Absolutely not. What was your first full-time gig? First full-time job? Um,
1: I'm trying to remember if it was Sprint or Best Buy.
0: <laughs> what? You're like interning at all these amazing fashion houses you are yeah. designing with Supreme, had your own line, here's, and then here's the thing. Best Buy or Sprint? Here's the thing, Jeff.
1: Uh, <laughs> the thing is, is like, the shit was fun and games when I was... When I was cute, it was novelty. It was like, oh, my, I got this little young black kid in my office, fourteen years old, fifteen years old, and that was cool. Like, oh, okay, you're the prodigy. I was a prodigy, right? Okay, and you're 21. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But you're still fairly young to be out of college. I got out of college at 20, mm-hmm. so, so you you get out of college in like 20, and um, you ain't little and cute no more. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like you, you're in that weird stage where like your beard don't connect. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying like right. your shit you shit just look you're looking crazy out here you just looking you're just <laughs> looking wild so that was me man just like this awkward kid just trying to figure this shit out and early 20s was wild. it was weird uh, and like so I was I was working at Sprint I think uh the store in Massapeco Park out on Long
0: Island not even I thought you meant Sprint the corporation no sir no I was working in the store graduated Hofstra I graduated Hofstra I got, okay, I'm going to be like your dad here. Yeah. Why would you walk into a retail cell phone store and be like, this is what I'm going to do after being a college graduate?
1: For me, that was the difference between like homelessness and that. Oh, really? You know what I mean? Like I didn't have a place to go. I didn't have like parents. I didn't have like my mom. If my mom was alive, it would have been a different story. Uh-huh. My godmother is my, is my mom, mm-hmm. you know, um, but she's hard ass. And, and I, you know, I, I would go there and stay as long as until she realized I was in the house. <laughs> and and you know, I was just always an independent person. I've been working since I was thirteen years old. So like I couldn't even, even imagine asking for any anyone for anything. Right. But at the same time,
0: it's like So like searching the time it took to search for a job wasn't even a reality. It was like, what is I the lowest actively hanging fruit check?
1: I was no, but I was always actively searching for a job. I don't uh, I don't think people understand like how hard it is to get a job. Uh, one getting out of getting a job fresh out of college is, is difficult. Mm-hmm. Getting a job fresh out of college when you're black, mm-hmm. young, mm-hmm. with limited experience, when you're coming you coming in from a pool of like Columbia grads, Fordham grads, and all this different shit. You're like yeah. a lot of kids end up just going back to school because it's it's easier yes. to 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 put your loans in forbearance and and just and, and stay in that fantasy world mm-hmm. for as long as possible. And that's what. I saw a lot of people doing but like I had to just get to it bro like I had to I needed a place to live and I needed to I needed to survive I needed to feed myself so I had to do that so I worked at Sprint
0: man this is so real at this point in the interview I thought for sure that we'd be talking about sneaker collaborations or creating amazing runway shows I too saw the surface of what Kirby was creating, but when you look beneath the surface, you see so much more. You see how the secret sauce is actually being made. And the same exact hustle that it takes to do what he does today was forged when he decided to walk into that Sprint store. I want you to know that your drive doesn't turn on automatically when it's showtime. The truth is that opportunities most likely never come unless you put in that time first. Now a number of things comes to mind when Kirby talks about his time just after college. The first being how the job market for a new graduate is ridiculously competitive. And I'm sure it's the same if not worse today. I know a lot of my peers also just decided to go back to school because a career wasn't waiting for them after they got that diploma. We all have our own personal academic experiences, but it can be argued that college does not always equal quote unquote success. Now don't get me wrong, it might be the perfect track for some, but equally so, it might be a huge waste of time for others. You remember that Kanye West lyric from All Fall Down?
1: She's so self-conscious, she has no idea what she's doing in college. That major that she majored and don't make no money, but she won't drop out her parents to look at a funny now.
0: Having a young person of color being an apprentice may be novel at first, but as soon as he reaches a certain age, perceptions change. Competition heats up. And when it comes to multiple people vying for one job, the claws do come out and people tend to choose sides. The knowledge Kirby was able to gain during his younger years and a talent that he's always had was able to sharpen him. But Kirby faced the same issue a lot of young people of color have. And that's just unfortunately more hoops to jump through more time needed for acceptance, more people needed for validation, more due diligence to make sure that the company is making the quote unquote right decision. And since time is money, this is all time where people like Kirby aren't making money. But as you'll soon hear, Kirby isn't afraid to show the industry this truth. And I think that's why his success as of late has really made an impact. He's creating something as an artist, with a true, authentic voice.
1: Sprint, Sprint, Massapequa Park, they closed down. Uh, They were like, do you want to transfer or do you want to take a severance? I took the severance. During the severance, I started to like, you know, fuck around, start designing my line. Right. Um, And then then I went to AT&T, you know, because the severance ran out. And I went to AT&T, Worked at the one in Forest Hills on Seventy First, Seventy First and Queens Queens Boulevard, right? And then you know I got promoted to manager, and then they sent me to Queen Center Mall. And that's what I knew was I, I was like, I'm gonna get fired. I, it, I, was, I already know they put me at Queen Center Mall they go watch me. They know I'm not coming here on time. They already know. They, they know I'm not disciplining people. Like nobody was getting fired. My job was firing people. Essentially, it was mm-hmm. like yo writing people up. And mm-hmm. Right, said,
0: you're like the hall monitor. Yeah, I'm, I'm not
1: doing this shit. I was like, and they and they were like, how come you have no write ups? I'm like, because I don't care to write nobody up. You know what I'm saying? Like it's not, it's not my shit. And even still, like if you work at Paramount so today you know, I'm that's hard for me. I'm fire people. Mm-hmm. I, I do this terrible, terrible fucking thing. But I'm sorry to segue, but like I do this terrible thing where like instead of firing an awful employee i just hire one to help him right. so i'm very bad at the shit so i i go i I go back to AC. everyone at
0: your office by the way right now is like looking, room, yeah. like looking yeah. around right now yeah yeah they did they, they, nuts <laughs> but, but like it, it's because
1: I, I just know how hard it is i right. know you know you know i don't know what the realities of trying to get a job today is
0: but i know that back then it was fucking nuts for yeah oh now you just you're an influencer so you're fine right yeah <laughs> you just turn I'll, on instagram and you get money <laughs> yeah I'll, I'll, make, I'll make blog post money if i if, any, if shit goes wrong um this but, is fascinating i know people listening to this must be like wanting to hear about like the celebs and the fashions but it's like no this is fascinating to me that like you worked at sprint all the time you fucking got fired from sprint moved to at&t got fired from at&t so you got fired from the Queen Center Mall job. I got fired the
1: wildest way too. It was like, so I was not fucking with this one woman that worked there. She was she was just bad, bro. She was just like evil people, right? Like I can't. I want to remember her name because I do want. <laughs> I, I'm trying. I do want to call her ass out, but I can't remember her name. That's just this probably a great thing, but like she was awful, and um, you know she would come into the store and like. You know, strut her shit, come in for like 30 minutes, tell everybody what to do, mm-hmm. like smack stuff off the fucking table, make everybody go rearrange it. Uh-huh. Crazy stuff like that. And then, t- you know, tell me and then sit in the office with me for 30 minutes and tell me how I'm not doing my job. <laughs> um, and I We've was all like, had that person. Yeah. And yeah. I was not nice to her back either. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I was a, I'm, I'm always been a respectful person. I'm, it's really hard for me to be rude to somebody. You got asked to be retaliatory. Yeah, I was still wasn't rude to her, but I was I wasn't I wasn't my normal mm-hmm. self. I, right. I definitely felt. My energy shift when she came mm-hmm, around, mm-hmm. and um, she, I guess, told the district manager. Fuck is his name too. I don't remember. It's probably but better remember, that you erased yeah, this part of your life. Good. Yeah, like his. <laughs> his he drove. He drove this Audi S five, and I remember. <laughs> and this is when the Audi S first came out, and I had a, and I had a, a S four, uh-huh. and he was like. I think he felt something about us having like similar <laughs> same make. He felt something about us having Audis and like why do you have as much money as me? But you know, he, he, and then he started to investigate. He was like, "What is he doing on the side? Like, how could he possibly?" If, one, I was getting, I was like one of the highest paid workers at AT and T because my commission was crazy because I'm just a people person. It was mm-hmm. just easy for me to make, you know, sell. And uh, second, I had like. A ebay store. I had like things that I was doing aside. the I mean, you know, like had a little side hustles. Had my app that I was doing and shit like that. And uh, I remember we were at this at 55 Water Street at the at like a AT&T conference. <laughs> and and like he's in the front of the room, and I'm up paying attention, looking uh-huh. at him. He's like, "Herbie, wake up." I'm like what the t- <laughs> t- fuck are you talking about? My eyes are wide open. Wow, I'm, I'm I'm literally my my arms are like this, and I'm like, what, what, right, like what, you did like like, the shrug like, emoji, yeah, like, like, what? I'm like what, what? the fuck? What are you talking about? He's like, wake up, and I'm like, I'm up. I'm like, look at my eyes. He's like, you know what? Get up and go wash your face. What? And then the next in front day, of a crowd of people, bros, must have been like 200 managers all over the, all over like the tri-state, <sighs> and he did that shit, embarrassed me in front of everybody, and then and then next day, fired me. And and I knew it was retaliation for like Shorty, cause and then Turner found out he got her pregnant and got the whole, the whole it was a whole scandal. First of oh. all, that was the most incestual mm-hmm. place to work. <laughs> I don't even have AT now. Like you I can't touch I, them. <laughs> I, can't, I can't even fuck with them. Like we was offered something with AT and was like, I, you know, I can't do it. I'm sorry, oh. I can't do it. It, was, it, it would it would have been bittersweet to take a corporate check from them, <laughs> but you know, Lena, Lena gets that, so we good. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> all right what how about after eighteen and t where do you go after eighteen and t so after eighteen t was my last job nice it was my last job yeah i got fired in two thousand eleven did you get a severance i got i got a they had to they, they 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 didn't give me a severance but i got unemployment for like a year and a half um and but, how's
0: money right now for you like you you got fired from eighteen t so, like what's so, the financial situation financial
1: situation was crazy let me tell you why i was i looked the fuck out. so I used to watch Jim Kramer every uh-huh. day.
0: Yeah. So, I, the, uh, the financial the expert. mad money dude. Yeah, mad money. Yeah, yeah.
1: I would, yo, you know what's crazy? I had like this bet with my fellow, like my coworkers, and I was like, yo, I was like, everything this man says is wrong. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and they were like,
1: you know what? Fuck it. Y- if you believe that, you know, we used to all play around in our Fidelity accounts because we used have like slow days, you know, nobody coming to the store for hours. So we used to yeah. sit around, we play around. Like We had like 401k Fidelity accounts. So I used to, I so yeah, it was a portion of it where you could fuck with yourself. Yep, you
0: could tweak. Yeah, stuff, yeah, so I had
1: like 20,000 uh-huh. in my shit because mm-hmm. um, I would over allocate and yeah. I would put more money into my joint because I didn't really need the money at the time. I was just like, whatever, I had like two expenses mm-hmm. which was the gym membership, my <laughs> cell phone, and the rent. And, my car was paid off, so I didn't really need nothing. So I had the money in the account, and I would fuck around with it. And I would do the opposite of what Jim Cramer said all the time. So I ended up with like 80 grand. Wow. So I ca- Wow. So I, so I cashed that shit going out. Going
0: against whatever he said.
1: So I cashed that shit out. <laughs> plus I had the plus I had the $400 a week from unemployment. Uh-huh. So $400 a week of employment lasted me about 16 months. Mm-hmm. And then I had the the 80 grand. I was like, I'm going to take this 80 grand. I'm going to put it towards starting this new business that I was going to start in this called god at the time g-a-u-d i was like i'm gonna start which this. was a fashion brand i was like i'm gonna start a fashion brand okay. called god and okay was, what the fuck was i thinking but i was like i'm gonna start this fashion brand not totally bad not yeah g-a-u-d was, yeah. was, a was yeah. trash <laughs> but you know it was trash <laughs> <laughs> but i was like i'm gonna start this shit called god and uh-huh. um and uh and, and uh i took the i took the 80 grand and i was like i am a go fuck around like mm-hmm. you know go back to what i knew yeah because you know i been doing this since i was a teenager I was yep. like, right, it was easy yeah i go back to all the factories that i knew all closed down <laughs> you know what i'm saying like all screen makers <laughs> all, all gone all <laughs> the screen printers i all yo i knew it was the end of days when i went to you Friedman. remember Friedman. Fried, i Fried, bought blanks at Friedman exactly so i went back to Freeman's <laughs> and they were like "Freedman's is clo- out of business i said what I couldn't believe it. There was like, yo,
0: American like apparel. the Jews can't make it. Yo, um, yo, the Jews couldn't if make it. If the Jews can't make it, something's yo, wrong.
1: American <laughs> apparel, everything was gone, and I was like, yo, this is crazy. Like, I, I the only shit that was still there was like B and J Fabrics, Mood. I was mood, like, this yeah. is trash. I was right. like, so, I, you know, I spent a lot of money. I spent most of most of my money. I ain't gonna bullshit you. Went to traveling because like me and my boy, we had buddy passes on United, so we would travel a lot of places. We went to like. Went to Hawaii, went to like <laughs> Paris a bunch of times, Amsterdam. We smoked mad weed, just Uh-oh. like
0: just, just doing wild shit. Sounds like a good way to start a business. Yeah, <laughs>
1: probably blew like sixty thousand doing that dumb shit. <laughs> um, me and my me and my best friend, me and Robbins, we just like fucking around, just going everywhere, going to Amsterdam, got in a fight in a cafe, just wild shit, <laughs> and just like just wild. You know what I mean? Like taking right. two two kids from East Flatbush and just like just like yo, y'all can go anywhere y'all want. Yeah, it was wild. Problems, <laughs> problems. <laughs> it was wild. So you know. Uh, I took that shit. I spent like sixty, and then I had twenty left. By the time <laughs> I realized, I was like, you know, I gotta, I gotta figure my life out. Yeah. Um, all these trips to Jamaica is not working out. You know. <laughs> so, I was so I, so, so I went figured my life out. Um, started, started the brand. I, I lost all of it immediately. So then I had to go take out a, like I had to go get. I probably had eight grand left. Mm-hmm. And then I had to go take get an investment um, through my friend Angela's friend. Um, and you took an investor investor. Yeah. For God, for God. Okay. Cause I mean, here's the thing, like the thing that I'm not saying, like here's the through line that you guys need to remember. Like as you listen to this whole shit is that I've always been good at this. Mm -hmm. Like, you know what I mean? So like all these things are happening. Like, at AT&T even, all of my books, like all of my training books, everything had sketches in them. Everything mm-hmm. was, I was constant. This was always a constant. This was the thing that never left. Yeah. Like, if you go down to my hotel room right now in this hotel I was staying in, like there's sketches mm-hmm. on it. You know, it's just something that's a through line. It's right. never changed. So I've always had that ability. And like when I would lock in, I would lock the fuck in. Mm-hmm. I haven't locked in for about two years. You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? It's so like when I, lo- when I was locked in and really designing, I was it was a different Different person, you yeah. know what I'm saying? So like when I when I when I would show up to people and like pull up and show my my books and things that I was working on, everybody would really impressed because it was like forward, like even shit that I look back now, I can't put out now because it's still not ready. Oh wow, you know what I'm saying? It's right. not like it's not that good. It's not it's not ready for. it's, yeah. it's, it's not. The world hasn't caught up uh, yet. I hate when people talk like that. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Because I'm I'm trying not to sound cocky because as you can see, that's not my that's not my domain. I'm I'm humbled by all the situations that I've been put in. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't want to sound ungrateful or anything like that, but I have been blessed with, with the gift to be able to interpret, design the way that I do, and um, and to
0: see things way into the future. Mm-hmm. Um, and timing is everything, and, and is everything. therefore the world has to correct. You know, coordinate with your mind. They just I, said it. Not me. I'm trying to yeah, be yeah, as yeah, humble yeah. too. Like, yeah, but I Jeff get said it. it. Not yeah. me. I don't
1: want people. Are like, oh, this motherfucking cocky shit. <laughs> <laughs> fuck him. <you> know? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not trying to end up in one of those situations again.
0: Okay, Kirby won't say it, but I will. Y'all ain't ready, but seriously, timing is everything. A creative who always stays ready, who knows how to think in the future and who is confident in their abilities is always impressive. But a creative who knows how and when to release and when to keep other stuff in the pocket, that is a true master of their craft. You see brands all the time and say to yourself, man, they were just too ahead of their time. And that's actually a true statement. The world is an ever-changing organism. The climate of world events, the current mindset of different people, the competitive landscape, all of these things need to be aligned properly in order for a project to really hit. And I would argue that the work you've been seeing coming out of Pierre Moss is the perfect artistic expression for the times that we're living in right now. Another thing I notice about the greats are that they keep creating no matter where life puts them at. There wasn't a time on versus a time off mentality. The passion for honing his craft is something that is consistent throughout all time. And it's dope to hear that even back in those sprint and AT&T days and now all the way to us being in Dubai together, you can bet that those sketchbooks are staying filled. Talk about the uh, the investor a little bit more. Man, that was awful, bro. Like, So first
1: investment I took was pre-PMOS. So he was supposed to give me 30 Gs for 27% of the business plus $250,000 line of credit to cover production. I made the shit, did the samples, moved to Istanbul for like a month and a half, two almost two months. That's then, where the stuff was made? That's where the stuff okay. was made. I moved there, got out there, did what I needed to do, figure shit out. Like, the the connect that we had in, in Istanbul who was going to plug me up to all the factories did not know what he thought he knew. Okay. You know, that's my nice way of saying that he basically lied to us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, we get out there and realize that he didn't really know what he was doing. Um, so I had to go hit the ground and figure shit out on my own. All so right. imagine this. Imagine you having to go to Barney's, asking the sales associate... Where Lavon, where marjola <laughs> was made? <laughs> right. That's what I was doing. I would go to the store because, because cause all the connects he told me was was a farce. Uh-huh. So I so I go to like all of the stores and I'm like, yo, do you know where this came from? Because everything that said made in Turkey, I was like, where it made. And I got pointed. Long story. Short, long story short. Yeah. I got to sit, uh, sit in Brno, uh in Istanbul, where it was it was known for fur and leather. After like a long, long ass a couple of days of knocking on door to door for factory to factory and getting kicked out of one, I've run into this guy named Mustafa. Mustafa, Mongolian, French dude. And I speak French, so he was so happens that I'm just, you know, that we ran into each other and he heard that, he heard me asking them for a factory. Mm-hmm. And he was like, I have a factory mm-hmm. around the corner. <laughs> You know, I wouldn't have even walked on that block. It was crazy. It was the crazy shit because it was like so I was going on the main streets, so walking from
0: like door to door. You're literally walking door to door trying to find factories. Like, oh for sure, knock, bro, knock, I still, knock. <laughs> bro, I still do
1: that shit to this day. When we, when, when you know, production, production is a nightmare. So mm-hmm. like, a lot of times we have to go. We go to door to door. You know, there's no, there's no shortcuts in this shit, bro. Yeah. Some people have it easier than others. I definitely was not one of those people. that was gifted with any type of ease. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I went door to door, man. I found this dude he made the first uh killer jackets for me so i had like this uh, oxblood leather jacket this black one and a and a camouflage one he made five jackets for me sent them to new york never sent me an invoice he made these five jackets for me oxblood yeah he made oxblood whatever camo and uh sent them to me no invoice no nothing never 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 billed me mm-hmm. and i did just showed up at my door um 2 days before christmas mm-hmm. and I've been trying to get in touch with this man for six years. Tom, thank you. I still have not been able to get back in touch with him. But he sent me those jackets, sent me triples of the camo. Uh huh. Two or three. No, he sent me three. Uh-huh. He sent me a, a small, medium, and large. Yeah. I gave one of them to Jeff uh, Gray, who was my publicist, uh, early, early on, before Jeff decided he didn't want to work in fashion no more. He uh, gave that jacket to Mel Ottenberg. Mel Ottenberg gave it to Rihanna. And on January 28th, 2013, Rihanna, was photographed leaving the studio wearing my camouflage leather jacket. And that shit just was the beginning of my life now because Mm -hmm. I learned a lot that day. One, I had to name the company that day because me and homie who had invested the the 25K already fell out. Yeah, And um, because we had orders on on God Mm -hmm. from like, it was like T-shirts, things like that. We had orders from Atrium and like other stores that was around at the time. Um, And... And uh, when, when it came to doing the production, yeah. he was like, oh, no. Nah. He was like, we can, we, we can go out together and go get investments. But I was like, yo, I signed this deal off the strength that was gonna you was going to give 250 yeah, No, you, not other people. Yeah, and he's like, "Nah, I don't got that kind of money. So I was like, we can't. I, I already saw I was like, there's no way I'm about to do the rest of my life with this guy. Uh-huh, right. And I part, we, parted, we parted ways not amicably at all. Mm-hmm. And, you know, last year I had to deal with him again. I had to pay him off.
0: Wait, was that contract for the God brand?
1: It was for the or for
0: anything that you create.
1: It was it was it was God, but like the contract was so tricky. He didn't have the two hundred and fifty K stipulation in it. He sued me for continuation, which means um anything that I continued after that was derivative of of God. Wow. Even Um, this. Even even, Pierre Mars. Even Pierre Mars, yeah. So
0: I had to that's, oh, so you had to untangle yourself yeah, out of that, and that was fuck. literally just last year. You I mean, just untangled yourself out twenty
1: seventeen. So, two, so not last year, two years ago, twenty seventeen. Yeah, and
0: was he the type of guy that was actually coming after you on this stuff? Oh, for sure. Wow.
1: You know, I, I'm still, I'm, I, I'm still, I'm, I'm still of the mindset that you know, I could, I could solve everything. You know, what I mean, mm-hmm. like everybody, every, every, everything could, everything could be fixed with a phone call or whatever. But like this dude was not that type of dude. He was just. Really, like, this was, like, the thing that happened for him. And, like, Karamas blowing up was, like, the thing that he could not let go of. Like, it's oh, like, I needed I to be a part of this thing. Even though he lied, even though he, like, misrepresented himself and all this shit, even though he was clearly in the wrong, it was, like, this is one of them things. Like, you know, you probably got... You, you're successful. You probably got people who, early in your career, might have, like, handed you a cup of coffee. And now, yo, Jeff Staple, like, that pigeon... <laughs> dunk, fuck Jeff Stable. Like, I made mind. that shit. I made that <laughs> fucking oh, I, that. Yeah, yeah. I made that fucking shoe. <laughs> he wouldn't be shit without that cup of coffee. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, right. I deal with that shit on a day day to day basis, bro. But like, you know, I, I make I make it an effort to like credit the people who actually helped me and like mm-hmm. really like show show grace and, and, and gratitude for everybody who 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 um extends their their finances or their time or just their love to me. Yeah. You know what I mean? But this dude was not a good dude. But
0: anyway. Fast forward to um I went at that that camouflage jacket that Rihanna wore was we, that so was that a Pierre Moss jacket now uh, so here's the thing technically so, speaking
1: technically it was okay so I named Pierre Moss that day wow because <laughs> because every like Perez Hilton everybody ran that that mm-hmm. that picture but they were like uh Givenchy by ricardo tishi <laughs> so I had no you know so like, you had to find the name so like- all of my friends were like emailing all of the blogs and like, yo, that's Kirby's jacket. He posted on Instagram. That's Kirby, Kirby, whatever. Mm-hmm. And uh, they were like, what's the name of the brand? And then I named it that day, which is my mom's name. So mm-hmm. my mom's name was Vanya Moss. And then when she moved to America, she changed it to Vanya Pierre because her cousin's name, Aston Pierre. And if she changed her name to Aston's name, then she would have a, a, a easier pathway to citizenship mm-hmm. because then she could have somebody sponsor her. So she changed her last name to Pierre. So Pierre Moss is the combination of her uh her american n- name and her
0: and her birth name oh okay yeah spelled the same way
1: no pierre's her proper- na- proper name is p i e r uh, r e like the French way right right but you know you, you I, just flipped it a little bit I spelt it the haitian phonetical way because uh, uh because i didn't want to one compete in SEO searches with Pierre Cardin and like anything like right. that it was just is not a smart business move. Mm-hmm. um so um, and I so named and it that day. And I named it that day. And I also thought about, I was like, one day this logo is going to develop. And I was like, it needs to be four and four. Uh huh. So four letters, four right. letters. That's yeah. the graphic design thing. Right, yeah. This the graphic design thing. So right. it was just like, you know, um, of something that I thought of.
0: I And was it, at that point, was it like your, was it ever a traditional fashion brand where you followed seasons and got wholesale accounts and like mm-hmm. did trade shows? It was mm-hmm. that. And it was a complete failure. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> it was... Completely trash.
1: Right, uh, <laughs> I I did everything that I thought I was supposed to do. Right, that you're
0: supposed to do. Right, as a about, fashion think
1: brand. Think about the think about the time when I was coming out. Right, so it's 2013. Mm-hmm. Who's Who's the hottest designers in 2013? Tim Coppins, Public School, Javier, mm-hmm. Yeah, Rochambeau, and Noir, mm-hmm. and they and they had a formula. The formula was get the celebrities in your joint, mm-hmm. uh, make the celebrities sit front row. Do the you runway know, show, yeah. Do the runway show. Follow get Barneys. Of, get Barneys. <laughs> get Barneys, yeah. None of that worked for me. Uh-huh. None of that worked for me, man, and, and rightfully so. Um, Because had that had that worked for me,
0: I'd be in design purgatory right now. You well, know, a lot of the brands that you just mentioned don't exist anymore, actually.
1: Yeah, man. Yeah. Yeah, bro.
0: Yeah. And, and, that, and, and not, not to mention, Barneys doesn't exist Barney's anymore. Barneys doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> Fuck.
1: Barneys never picked me up. Wow, Barney's never carried Pierre Moss ever. Mm-hmm. They tried to carry uh, Reebok by Pierre Moss. They was like, we just want the shoes. And I was like, I don't know what power y'all think y'all have. <laughs> Nobody gets just the shoes. Like you're not, you're not about to like, you, no. What the fuck is this? Were you Tony Soprano? Mm-hmm. Fuck you. Like no, you're not about to get just the shoes. <laughs> fuck y'all. Uh, but you know, it's it's it's. It was it was a wild time because like I was doing the formula, man. It was a, it was a very specific formula what you had to do, and I tried it for years, and it just did not work. And I was smacking my head up against the wall, and not to mention by this time I did have proper investors.
0: Okay, that you have now still? Hell no. Oh wow. Okay. Hell no, bro. <laughs> Hell no. Oh, like, so you went through another round of because bad I thought investors? That was
1: the, because I thought that was the formula. Uh-huh. That was what you did. Like, everybody had investors, and new investors were known. Like, uh, uh, and had investors that were known, that they would tag, and uh-huh. public school had investors. Everybody had investors that were known. And I was like, that's what I need to do. I need to get investors. Mm-hmm. I need people. I need this. And I was like, right. just following what everybody did. And I didn't even realize that back then that that was going to put me in a position where, like, you know, um... Of, of great despair and I, mm-hmm. didn't, I didn't learn because that first situation with the 25K situation I got out of that so like so easily at the time it yeah. didn't come back and rear its ugly head until 2017 right. so I got out of it so easily at the time and I was like okay that was just a bad situation yeah. let me just let me get out of this let, let, let me let, this would be fine let he me- was just
0: waiting for you to blow up right If there's anything to take away from all the past guests on the podcast, it is to learn from those who have done it before and then take those learnings to establish your own journey. Following down the path of others does work and it has its benefits, but, and there is a huge, but there's a flip side to that coin. Now, by following that path of others, you also make yourself susceptible to the same consequences and pitfalls that they went through. Hence, the argument for being the trailblazer. Now, being a trailblazer might be going into totally uncharted territory all the time, but at least you play by your own rules. As Kirby said, wholesale, department store orders, retailers, celebrity co-signs, investors, fashion shows, all of this was part of a formula that others had established. And some of those brands have adapted, some have scaled back, Some changed business models, and some, unfortunately, are no longer around. This is a pivotal point for Pierre Moss and Kirby. He admits that he made some mistakes. The question for him now is, does he back it up and give it another go? Or does he abandon ship and live to fight another day? We all know the answer because we see the amazing Pierre Moss brand as it manifests itself today. But you get to see all the years of ups and downs, the years of learning and redefining what he had to go through. This was his training camp. But understand that each person's story is unique and different. Sometimes it might be better to start from scratch with something completely new. Sometimes it's better to move forward as is headstrong. And sometimes it's better to pivot. The important thing is to be mindful of what makes sense for you and your situation. So let's now hear how Kirby handles the next evolution for his brand.
1: In this next situation, they had factories. Okay. They had. A, they gave me a proper office. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they helped me to hire like two, two or three uh, part-time employees. Mm-hmm. They they were pretty helpful. Okay what happened with them was very different than what happened in the first situation. What happened in the first situation was just this dude was just you know, like li- just a liar. liar. Yeah. yeah. This this these people um I thought and I still think to this day that they're good people. Um they just didn't understand this side of the business. They were used to like mass and wholesale. So yeah. like they were doing like you know 100,000 units and things like mm-hmm. that. They didn't really understand how like high fashion worked. Right. They were like Garmentos. Garmentos. Were they sure. literally Garmentos? Le- legitimately okay. Garmentos. Okay. Asian couple, Garmentos. Mm-hmm. Um, and did not understand the business and underfunded it. They, you know, 250K uh, in cash and kind. This is the worst deal you could do. Because what's the cash? Cash probably like, 50, you know, fifty hundred. dollars um, And then they had a first in, first out. Mm-hmm. So as money came in, they were just taking paying it, right, paying it immediately. Right. So they paid themselves back multiple, right. multiple times. It's like a bad record deal, right? They just <laughs> and and, they, and and I and I still struggle with whether or not that was malicious or whether or not they just didn't understand. Mm-hmm. Um, because I don't like to believe that anybody's malicious, mm-hmm. but their cash in kind was like, oh, well, we made we made the the the, the shirt. And they would charge me more than I would pay outside. The cost price of the shirt. They would charge me more than I would get charged outside. Oh, that's called double dipping. They would triple dip. They would triple dip. <laughs> yeah, would triple yeah. dip. And it, yo, here's the crazy thing, man. I don't even know if I should say this shit, but good thing they left the room. But um, <laughs> the, the, wild, the wild thing is is like they were using my company to give people visas. Oh, wow. And, had no, and I had no idea until I went, until we ran out of money, until, uh-huh. like, their cash, until the cash ran out. And I was, like, trying to get a loan. Uh-huh. And then I realized that I didn't own any of my company, but like, barely anything left because they had
0: essentially registered other, other members. Right, they added, like, owners and shareholders. And they were getting, your- getting 250 a pop. They were getting paid on the visas. Yeah.
1: Oh, my God. I, I just paid them off. <laughs> shit. yeah because like when, for me to get buy out i had to buy it i had to buy it out in 2017 so like before we got into reebok i had to go into reebok clean
0: mm-hmm. so oh reebok wouldn't allow you to have all these
1: random it's not that they wouldn't allow me it wasn't no it wasn't no allow me it was just
0: like you needed to clean it all. i needed to, yeah, yeah cl- i need sure. to clean up because i would like, be sharing all that shit.
1: yeah and i'm, like, I'm, not, I'm not about to do that yeah. first of all in the hell no because like the way that they was doing business it was like like i remember we did usher's tour I was doing a lot of tours around the time. I did, like, Madonna's Rebel Heart. Um, designing outfits yeah, for them. Exactly. So, like, here's... Like, remember what I said. Throughout all these stories, I'm giving you, like... Mm-hmm. I'm giving you the underbelly of your stories. But keep in mind, the through line was that I was always good. Yeah. I was always doing this thing, and I was always consistently designing. So, there was always things happening from the fashion front. And press-wise, you know, we were growing. Yeah, like, right. But I'm just giving you the underbelly. Like, mm-hmm. the, real, the real shit that was happening behind the scenes. So... When Usher's tour came in, that was the biggest check I ever seen in my life. That was like 350000 I was like, shit, well, let's pay them off. Right. Whatever. Bruh, they came out with invoices. You owe me. You owe me. <laughs> they took the three fifty, and then I owed them. When I tell you, you know, I'll be watching like Death Row uh-huh. documentaries and uh-huh. shit. I'll be like, this is what Shug Knight was doing. Because I, I, I understand it now. Mm-hmm. I understand it. And yo, and like when you in a, when you're in a place of, man, I try, to, I try so hard now. Like, why, why I take this shit so personal when I'm like talking to other designers and I see they about to, like my man Afik, he owns his brand called Head of State, and like he was about to do this bad deal with this Russian people. And when I tell you, man, I stopped him this track, I was about to, I, I was about to not let him leave. The, the, the we, I don't remember where we. I think we said Soho or something like that. I was like, if you leave out this door, and you go do this then I'ma choke you out. Like I was like, it was like, yeah. I take it so personal now because I see young, young black people, young people of color, young whatever, like just people who just don't get it. Creatives especially, man, just like about to fall into these fucking victim-ass deals. And I, I went through it already. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like I, I don't want nobody to go through that shit. That shit is fucked up. But it's crazy when you, when you think. Damn, like yeah, like y'all take all the money. Y'all didn't even think to like, know, like the that same that same month, I got that check from Usher. I had an eviction notice on my door. I made Forbes thirty under thirty. I had seventeen dollars in my name, all my accounts. This is like four dollars at TD, eleven dollars at Chase. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, like it was like that. Like so, you know, you've seen the biggest check in your life, and at the same time, you can't eat. Can't eat. And my and my and my shorty was paying for everything. Uh-huh. She was like, We we gonna be all right, don't worry, we gonna be good, we gonna be good. Cause it was a time where I was like taking care of shit and I was like, and we was good for a minute, but then it was a time she had to take come in and step in and take take care of shit. And without her I wouldn't have made it. Like, but you know, we we bro, we was we was struggling, like, and I was like, damn I can't believe this shit. And you know, she would she would try to like go have like civilized conversations with them and be like, look, like, yo, you know, we're going through this. We 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 lost the pregnancy. We're, we're trying to like pay bills. We got we got we got we got shit to do. They pull out the invoices again. Like well, no. you know, only time I like made money from them in that deal Chinese New Year. Mm-hmm. They gave me like the red envelope <laughs> for like a thousand dollars. My God. Yeah. Wow. I made no bread, bro. Like I made no bread, and this was up until 2017. Mm-hmm. Like this was up until 2017, and the, the the last of it with me and them. February 2017, mm-hmm. homeboy comes into, the, the husband comes into the office and he's like, listen, he's like, I know we've been having this conversation for a while, but this day we need to do this. I need you guys, I need you to sign over 90%. Hands me a paper, literally tries to grab my hand and put a pen in my hand and force it. Like, this is the, the real definition of duress. When I tell you it took everything in me not to throw this man through the window, because like, I don't like people touching me, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? Like, um... Wow, he tried to like physically accost me, bro. It's like, oh ah, man, it's like, I can't believe I'm telling you this shit. But like, this is what was going on behind the scenes, bro. Like, this was this was real. And like, and I and I was like, no, I'm not signing shit. So then I was like, all right, I gotta get lawyers involved and I gotta get this this situation taken care of. They kicked me out the office, changed the locks, all the shit. I couldn't go back. Couldn't get my samples. So PMOS was effectively done February 2017, and I it's like it was, it was, we we was, we was at a standstill because I own the trademark. Yeah. They
0: operated operated everything. it. Yeah.
1: And they Ugh. couldn't work without me. I couldn't work without them. Right. So then we need to we needed to come to something. So we came to a deal, and the deal was like, because they had those improprieties, uh, as it pertained to like those visas and shit like that, which we was gonna expose in court.
0: <laughs> you had some blackmail on them, essentially. Like it was not, not it's not blackmail, but just it's not blackmail. You can't operate a business like that. Yeah, That's it wasn't not, blackmail,
1: yeah. but it was some shit. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, like yeah, yeah. Y- y'all really, y'all really want all this to come out because be, as soon as we get into deposition,
0: you know. Mm-hmm. Everybody's gonna have to sing like a fucking canary, and all them homies you brought into the country. Guess what? <laughs> they, gotta go. <laughs> they gotta go. They gotta go. They Gotta go. What
1: you gonna do? Mm-hmm. So um, they had to make they had to strike a deal. So we struck the deal for a little under about. Was this
0: pre-CFDA? Oh, pre everything. Okay,
1: pre everything that you
0: know of me now. Yeah, but were you having conversations with Reebok already? Uh,
1: February like did they start yet? I was having conversations with another brand. Okay, um, and that deal was like no royalties it was like yo we gonna slap your name on this we gonna do this thing for for uh, Black History Month cause I had I had done I had done like this um that the, the show for Black Lives Matter and you know these are real things you know what I'm saying so like you're hearing like again you're hearing the business side but like at the same time I had was really polarizing I was really polarizing in the fashion space because I had done the black lives matter show I had started doing shows that were more autobiographical mm-hmm. I was getting better with my craft I was honing in my voice I was doing tours yeah. I was on tour with Usher I was I was doing shit for Madonna I was doing stuff for Lady Gaga um a lot of celebrities were wearing my stuff so there was there was there was perceived success happening publicly perceived perceived success happening yes. publicly but at the same time behind the scenes shit, shit was a nightmare so yeah. um you know, I was being offered deals. So I was offered that deal to do something around Black History Month. And I was like, this feels dirty, but I need the money. But at the same time that I was being offered this deal and I was about to sign that deal, Damian Presson at Reebok got wind of it somehow. Uh-huh. And he was like, nah. He's like, I got to get in touch with this kid. He did six degrees of separation, found my phone number, called me. Uh-huh. Literally a day before I was about to go to the other company. And sign. And sign. Uh-huh. And... Um, he was like, yo, he was like, if you hold tight, he was like, how much you're paying yo? I was like,
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> he's like, if you hold tight, I can get you double that. It's was <laughs> like, all right, <laughs> I'll hold tight. So I'm kicked out of the office, got no money to my yeah. name. My girl was with me at the time. She was putting shit together, like keeping shit together, whatever I had. At the time, Usher was doing something else, so like he was paying me directly now. Okay. So I was getting, I was getting a little, I was okay. getting hit off a little, you know, 15, 15 here, you know, three grand here. So I, my arrangement was my girl. When well, my girl was like, I'm gonna pay for all the bills. Mm-hmm. I pay the rent. I pay the cars. I pay for groceries. I pay for all the, the, the utilities, and you pay for everything else. She was like, well, what's left? I was like, you'll see. Uh, <laughs> but, like, she paid for everything else. It was like, you know, but she was starting her company at the time, too. So, you know, we, was, we, was, we were struggling together, bro. Like, we was really doing our shit, putting our shit together. So, you know, you, now you I had to hold wait. hold off on the first I had to, deal. I had to hold off on the first deal. This is February. Yeah. January, February. And kicked out of the office, mm-hmm. going through the legal shit, going through Talks with Reebok. Talks with Reebok took
0: nine months. And did the other company is it dead already now? The other footwear brand. Oh, it was dead because they were
1: they put out the shit and they put it out with other people. And they they did it with yeah. other people, whatever. They had a whole black black history month. Right. Checkbox. Yeah, they checked their <laughs> they, they checked their box. They checked their box. <laughs> <laughs> you already know how that is, yeah. man. It was blood money too. For me to take that shit would have been um a disgrace, to be honest. Mm-hmm. But uh So I need, nine months in. So checked. not so nine months in, shit's hitting the fan. We we broke as a fucking joke. Um, still not fucking with your partners, right? They still not fucking with them, but we still going back and forth legally. So, lawyers uh-huh. lawyers is talking to each other and figuring out how to do this shit. Finally, come up with a deal, strike a deal. Like maybe, probably like July. Mm-hmm. I was like, it was, was going to be I'm gonna give you dollars. You have to give them. I got to give them $0. to get your whole company back. To get my whole company back.
0: This just goes to show you that you never really know what's going on behind the scenes. You wanna hear the harsh realities? Well, here is your detailed look. Imagine getting the biggest check in your whole entire life only to turn around to find out that you can't even pay rent and buy groceries. He must've been asking himself, when does the I made it moment actually happen? So kudos to Kirby for keeping it going, because there are many, many moments during his journey where any other person would have probably hung it up. And I wouldn't even have blamed them. Kirby's talent needs no explanation. but What's amazing is his resilience and persistence. Kirby made an interesting analogy here to Death Row Records, Suge Knight, and the music industry as a whole. The dope collections and designs created by an artist are basically like the albums but great albums can still be tangled up in bad record deals it's something that's constantly brought to light in the music industry but i think you're going to be hearing more of this type of news coming to fruition in the fashion industry as well kirby and pierre moss are a voice a voice that should be heard by all not only in the design and themes that they bring to light but also the experiences that they bring to the table as well For you guys listening, really think hard about who you're working with. Consider the type of deals that you're about to be making. How does the money flow and what do you truly own? Your creativity and talent are gold. And just like anything that's precious, there are people who will want a piece of it by any means necessary. So make sure that you protect your neck.
1: And this dollars that I that I essentially guaranteed that I was gonna pay back, I had no idea where it was gonna come from. This was based off of Damien saying, I'll get you double and me having the faith that like Damien's telling the truth. Mm-hmm. And so anyway, Reebok deal didn't come in for double, but it came in around there. And um Does Damien know you lied about the number? He knows now, okay. he can, he can hear it. <laughs> you going to hear it now. But Dame's my man, man. Like, Dame's my man. And, and, and here's the thing about Dame, and his, like, this is what I'll say, man. Like, Dame got me for life because during that time, mm-hmm. shit hit the fans so bad that, that, like, I completely ran out of money. My girl ran out of money, and we were fucked up. Like, we were, like, fucked, fucked, fucked up. And we... I hit Damien up and I was like, this is my situation, man. And Dame was like, I, I've never asked anyone to borrow money for, in my life, uh-huh. ever. Like, even my girl at the time, like, I've never asked for money. I've never, we've struck deals. We were like, yo, like, like listen, I know it's the expectation that I have to pay for everything, and I, that's what I want to do as a man. I want to do that for you. I know it's toxic to even think like that, but, like, that's what I want to do. I, I would feel a certain way, even, like, her giving me anything or, like, you know, paying for shit or whatever the case is, and I'd always be like, Keep it running tab, and I was like, I'll make sure I pay you back, and I have, I have mm-hmm. paid her back multiple times. Um, but Dame went into his pocket because he was so mad about how long Reebok was taking. He probably gave me wow. Jeez. I, paid, I obviously paid him back as loans. But like, yo, when when I'm telling you, this shit is gonna happen. Don't don't trip. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm gonna give this to you, whatever the case is. Um, and I don't remember what I needed that money for. But it was like a critical, desperate situation. It was situation. critical. It was really, really critical. I don't know if it was to get me, I don't know if it was to get lawyers paid so that mm-hmm. we can get the decision, finish, sit, the, deal. finish yeah. the deal. I don't remember what it was, but I don't, I don't, I, I can't remember. I don't want to like, I don't want to, I don't want to bullshit you and say that I know what that, what that money was for, but I know Dame went in his pocket Wow. and, 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 and lent me the bread and, and I gave it back to him. That's incredible. So you know, Dame got Dame got me for life. He's not a Reebok no more, but um, whoever gets Dame now, just know that like, you know, that's a that's a the best type of employee you could have at any company because he's he supports the company. He bre- he breathes whatever company he's he's part of. Yeah. But then he's also like supporting whoever he's bringing in, mm-hmm. and that's why his relationship, He brought in like Cardi, Future, mm-hmm. me. Uh, every rapper who was signed to Reebok came in through Dame, like Rick Ross, everybody like, and and Swiss, mm-hmm. everybody like owed it. Like everybody we talked to about Dame was like, yeah, I owe my life to him or I owe my career to him or whatever yeah. the case is. Like Dame like really looked out. He saw something in me. He wanted me to be at Reebok. He felt like, he he foreshadowed everything that you're seeing now mm-hmm. like coming out. He foreshadowed all of this. He was like, he, he saw how I was moving like in the art space and the fashion space and everything like that. Right. Um, he recognized the talent when they didn't. When mm-hmm. they were like, when they were really obsessed with, like, oh, you only got 7,000 followers on Instagram. Yeah. But like, we can't sign him, not for that kind of money. Like, you only got 7,000 followers on Instagram. And Dane was like, let me tell you, like, this is the dude. Like, this guy's going change, to change shit up That's here sick. for us. And he's the only person who believed.
0: So, did that happen as planned? Like, Reebok deal signed. Yeah. You got a check, and then you resolved the existing partners deal? Correct. Okay. I had no idea that that, you know, what literally I'm it was like, boop, boop, boop. So it was July, <laughs> uh-huh. and then
1: July, we kept on like, Holding them off, yeah, because the, the Reebok deal is signed to September of 2017. Mm-hmm. So we was holding them off and was like, yeah, yeah, we'll get you the money. They're like, no, oh, no, we need now. Like, no, well, no, we need it now, now, now. <laughs> and I was like, I don't got it. I like, I don't know what to tell y'all, man. It was that critical. Yeah. So um, it's like juggling plates in yeah, the air, and like. then at the same time I had to pay the lawyers, and then that was like a lot of shit. So I was like juggling plates in the air, like literally keeping the plates in the air for as long as possible. Mm-hmm. Um Yeah, man. And then and then you know Reebok signed. September 2017, we did our first show back. So we had a year off at this point. We did a sh- our first show back February 2018. And that was Collection 1. And in that process of, you know, I had a long time to think and design. Yeah, so I, I right. created this American Also collection, mm-hmm. and I was like, I'm going to roll it out as a three-part collection. My whole, my whole thing is I've always been a storyteller. I've always wanted to tell stories, and I always wanted to, like, harness the energy of... Politics, societal conversation, mm-hmm. music, all these other things, and I wanted to make that my life. I didn't want to compartmentalize it. I didn't want to like do fashion over here and then run in the studio right. and then you know help my friends with their records over here mm-hmm. and then do film over here. I wanted it. I wanted to I wanted funnel to into one thing. One yeah. thing, yeah. And I knew that everything that I had been doing before the formula was not working. Mm-hmm. Seating clothes out to celebrities, hoping that they wear it. It wasn't working for me. Trying to get in the Barneys wasn't working. Yeah. I just stopped giving a fuck. And I was like, <laughs> like, I stopped giving a fuck about all that stuff, trying to, trying to like, get the top models of the season. It was not working. It was mm-hmm. like all of that stuff. I was like, whatever worked for Enlar and and Hood by Air and, 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 all, and my, all my guys, public school, whatever worked for them, God bless them, it just did not work for me. Mm-hmm. And it was like, I don't know what it is. I was like, I cannot, I can't. For, I'm trying, but I can't be a cool kid. Mm-hmm. I was like, it just doesn't work. And I just went back out. Yeah. And I just did shit my way, man. And I had not, I had, I had 12 months to think about what I was going to, what my return was going to look like. Right. So, you know, what you're seeing now with Pierre Moss has been fully thought out. Yeah. You know? For, the for only, like
0: a decade.
1: <laughs> for real. For what feels like a fucking decade. But yeah, like it's been fully thought out, man. Like, you know, like this people, I, my, the best thing, like the funniest shit for me is like reading Twitter. I know the other day I call Twitter the ghetto, and like everybody's like mad as shit on Twitter. Like, oh, you could call Twitter the ghetto. <laughs> Fuck y'all.
0: <laughs> it may have been a decade plus in the making, but the growth of Pierre Moss to what it is today has probably the strongest foundations you can find in any single brand. We're not talking financial and we're not talking about number of awards we're talking about what the brand has gone through and what kirby has learned and the truth and authenticity that he's been able to establish through that brand this isn't just about clothing now this is about freedom it's about doing what he wants and merging all interests into one single umbrella and above all doing it on his own terms no one's formula no one's validation no one's plan but his own Stay true to what you want to say with what you're creating. What I've noticed over the years from Kirby with what he's built at Pierre Moss is that he has never compromised who he is or what his brand means. This is what's really important. And honestly, this is what will keep him going far longer than even he himself probably realizes. What collection was the, uh, the King's Theater collection? Collection three. Okay. Collection three. It was not my best collection. What? No.
1: <laughs> it's my best show. Yeah. It was not my best collection. Well, I was about to say, like. I see- had too many designers help me with that shit. Okay. That was my problem. So instead of having like, I brought in Christopher John Rogers. It's my that's my little it's my little brother, man. I love that dude. But he 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 came in. He mm-hmm. has his own color palette, his own, his own way of seeing things. And I let everybody do their thing. I hate being stifled as a creative. So I did Reebok by myself, top to bottom. Mm -hmm. Um, And I did uh, a quarter of the menswear. No, I did half of the menswear and I did a quarter of women's. And the rest was them interpreting those looks. Right. Extending them. Extending them. And even though I thought that the designs were fire on paper, they were fire, I think we... Probably bit off more than we can chew because we were trying okay. to execute. Mm-hmm. We were trying to execute way more complicated things and draping and shit like that that I didn't understand. Plus, we were in a crazy transition because I just fired two designers. Well, CB fired two designers um, that were really pivotal in like creating what the look of Pierre Moss. But they were just like bad team players, and you know they and then bringing in a whole new team. Yeah, led by me and Christopher John Rogers, who have very different styles, mm-hmm. and you can see you can see the clash. A lot of people love the collection. I think you know sometimes my sometimes the shit that I'm so hard about myself on is the things that everybody loves. Mm-hmm. Um, I fucked with what Richard Phillips did. I like, I loved his artwork. Um, hindsight is always 2020, 20, though. You could always look back and be like, damn, I could have I could have done this better. I could have executed this better, or whatever. But that, that's that's just that's just a true testament of just like being a creative and yeah. just constantly in a creative space.
0: But after the show, was it a moment of, like, pinching yourself? Like, I can't... Like, even just me watching it from the outside, it looked amazing. But not knowing the backstory that, like, just 18 months prior to that, like, you're having negotiations with your girl about who, play, who pays the utility bill that month. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, and that's an embarrassing conversation to have because, like,
1: again, like, it's, it's super toxic, but I I want to be... A provider, a provider. Yeah, I've yeah. always wanted to be a provider. Yep. Um and you know, sadly, me and her are not together anymore. But that really, that dynamic of us really has not changed. Where it's like she knows that at any point she can call me, and I'm, I got her on anything. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that's always gonna be that's always gonna be like one of my
0: best friends. So, but that and CFDA, these must be like extremely <laughs> like. <laughs> I don't even know validation is, like, strong enough of a
1: word. Yo, here's the crazy thing. There's there's a few things I want to say about that King's Theater show. One, it's crazy to be back, like, home, right? Mm -hmm. And I think me bringing the show to King's Theater where it was is a huge fuck you to everybody. Because it was like, yo, I'm tired of coming to y'all. I'm tired of Weeksville and and King's Theater were a culmination of what we talked about earlier where I said I just got tired of... Trying to follow the formula, it's like I'm not going to go to Spring Studios. I'm Mm -hmm. not going to do a show at Milk anymore. Mm -hmm. None of that worked for me. I'm not going to bring it to you guys. You're going to come to me. And if you don't want to come, don't come. Mm -hmm. Um, I didn't care who else was showing at the time. I didn't. We didn't care about the calendar. Nate was like on me, like, "Yo, we got this person showing at this time." I don't care. I I really don't care. Mm -hmm. I I don't. I don't give a shit. Like I was like, "I'm playing that game." We're not playing that game. Yep. They were like, "Oh, how are we going to fill the seats?" I'm like. It, we'll be all right. Mm-hmm. I put it up on Instagram. I was like, everybody could come. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just in case. Just everybody could come. <laughs> no, nah, we didn't do it like that. We we we, we set up like a, a website where we were like, for, for, for two hours, we allow people to sign up and come. We had like over 25,000 people sign up. We could only fit. We only had... After our invites, we had about 500 extra seats. We The capacity of the theater was 2,500, I think. Mm-hmm. We ended up with like 3,000 inside and about like maybe like another two, 3,000 outside that couldn't get in. Mm. So amazing. So it was wild. Like then we had like the wildest party in King's Theater. We broke shit. Um, for it to be in my home to where I'm from, literally Ragamuffin, the store that I was telling you about, mm-hmm. was across the street. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? To bring it back like that. I, she was, the Girl, I was dating at, at the time of the Kings Theater show. We drove off, and she was like, "You know, if we die tonight, it'll be it'll be okay." Mm-hmm. I <laughs> and I was that. like, yeah. "Yeah, I was like, yeah, you're you're because I was I was so on a high that I was driving um back to Weensburg, and I didn't realize for about two minutes that I was on the wrong side of the street. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm in a I'm in a fucking bright blue McLaren 720s. Cops behind me. And nobody, I didn't get pulled over nothing. I nothing. She was like, you know what? If we die tonight, it'll be fine. She's like, I didn't even tell you he's on the wrong side. Because, right. you know, she was like, this feels like a good ending. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, this is... I was like, this is crazy. But, like, I, you know, that was a surreal... That was a surreal moment for me, man. Like, everything in my life, every pivotal thing in my life... Not everything, but most pivotal things in my life happened in that neighborhood. Shot From shopping at Bobby's, working at Ragamuffin, going, yeah. you know, being threatened... To go to Erasmus, which was my zone school, Uh, going to 181, like everything, man. Every, every, going to that bowling alley, seeing shootouts, seeing Patrick Dorsman get killed, like everything happened there. Mm -hmm. And to bring the whole fashion industry back. And then somebody wrote, I don't read a lot of the articles or whatever, man, because like it should be getting to me sometimes, but like somebody wrote something, my boy sent it to me. He was like, "Uh, the fact that, we had over, like, about 5,000 people who are outsiders come to Flatbush and be safe is a true testament of Kirby's respect in the neighborhood. And I was like, oh, that's fire. That's mm-hmm. like, that's, that to me was like the, the dopest thing that was written. I was like, that's, that's fire. Yeah. Um, it's incredible. Yeah. So it's, it's, been a, it's been a surreal, it's been a surreal moment. As far as like CFDA and all these other things, bro, you mentioned. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, now, it would have meant a lot more
0: mm-hmm. in 2016 when I cared. Right, you've already I checked care. out of it. Yeah. I don't care. I really don't care. Isn't it ironic now that you say I'm not playing this game? Is when they're like, oh, let's hey, play. Hey, split. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody had that friend growing up.
1: <laughs> <laughs> right? I really, I just genu- I genuinely, with all due respect, you know, some people say with all due respect when they're about to disrespect you, yes. but I really mean it with all due respect, I genuinely cannot, I cannot care. Mm-hmm. for my for my for my own sanity, for my health like for my mental health, for the people that love me, I cannot care about people who don 't mm-hmm. It would be disrespectful to all the people who 've literally sacrificed their time their money, their energy to see this dream come to life yeah. for me to for me to go obsess over getting an award or like being in a store or something like that and mm-hmm. like and and take and 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 completely ignore all the other blessings yeah. Would be a slap in the face to all the people that love me and sacrifice for me. Mm-hmm. I can't, I can't do it. Yeah. But me, and my man, just talking other day, he was tight because he didn't get nominated for a Grammy. He had one of the best albums of the year, to be honest. And I'm just like, yo, like you disrespect the niggas. I love you, bro. You can't,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you can't obsess over that shit. You, like, you can't, bro. You gotta like, you, you disrespecting every every engineer, every producer, every feature, mm-hmm. everybody who like came and fucked with you, every. Person on Twitter and Instagram who reposted your shit, who said, yo, this is the fires. This is the comeback of the year. This is fire. you disrespecting all of them by obsessing over the Grammy. Who, who knows what them fucking fandom people at the Grammys is? Mm-hmm. They probably all like, you know, they probably listen to classical music. Who knows, what the, who knows if they fucking even heard your album?
0: Yeah, exactly. Dude, who cares? It's like the pre-described gatekeepers, essentially, is what Fuck it them. is, right? Fuck them, man. So how's it feel now? You feel like free? Are you completely free of quote unquote fashion.
1: Man, I'm free, bro. Like I'm I'm not free of fashion. I'm free of the fashion industry for sure. I'm free of all that. But where I'm never gonna set myself free is being responsible for other people. Mm-hmm. I feel completely responsible for all the lives that we that work with us, that touch us, that come to orbit. I feel responsible for you. I feel responsible for like people who just are in our orbit. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And like and making sure that everybody's good, and 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 making sure that nobody has sleep in the car, and making sure nobody got to work for some some jerk at AT and T, and like you know what I'm saying, like, yeah, yeah. like that's important to me. Like that's that's the legacy we that we're gonna leave behind as a brand. It's like yo, we gonna we ain't gatekeepers, we gate openers, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, that's 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 the way I see it, bro. Like I I don't have I have no sense of um, I have no sense of like responsibility to anyone who makes it hard for people. Yeah. That's a great way to end it.
0: Thank you, man. Good looking out. That was dope. Thanks, sir. Hey, thank you for listening to this brutally honest episode with the one and only Kirby Gene Raymond of Pierre Moss. As always, you can find out more about the show and listen to other episodes at hypebeast.com slash radio. You can also subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. I personally use Anchor FM. Also, please do me a favor and leave a rating and comment to tell us what you think of the show. And also, tell a friend about the show. If you're listening right now, share it on social media. It definitely helps out a lot you can also reach out to me on twitter i'm at jeff staple and we do occasionally answer listener questions on the show so if you have a question shoot it over to me on twitter the business of hype is created in collaboration with bright young things you can check out their work at byt.nyc our director is daniel navetta our audio engineer is david rogers berry our audio interludes are composed by Gabe Darling, and our associate producers are Sydney Pacumpra and Christina Hahn. This episode was recorded on location at the Presidential Lounge of the Grand Millennium Hotel in Dubai, United Arab Emirates. I'm Jeff Staple, and you've been listening to The Business of Hype on Peace Radio.